Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo, and today I'm so happy to share a recent Firebird Book Award winning author with you. She is Donna McCart-Welser, and her winning book is titled Ruse Butterfly. Donna retired from business and information technology management after an amazing 32-year-long career working for United Health Group, Optum. She then pursued a master's in labor and employment relations at Rutgers University in New Jersey, while also writing her first book. Donna considers herself an adventurer, apocaloptimist, hopes for the best, prepares for the worst, and a world warrior focused on living her bucket list. She and her husband, Mark, both previously widowed, took the plunge and married during the COVID pandemic, blending their family of two cats, three dogs, and a full tank of fish, in addition to their two daughters, son, and extended families. Lots to find out today, so welcome to the network, Donna. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Pat. Oh, you're welcome. I love saying apocaloptimist. I really didn't coin the word, but when I heard the word, I think it represents sort of my view on life, <laughs> that uh, life is sort of not that silver lining that you, everybody wants, but you're going to make the best of it anyway. Absolutely. It resonated with me, plus it just rolls off the tongue. Absolutely. <laughs> well, congratulations on winning the Firebird Book Award. I was happy to share that with you. Thank you. What an honor. Your book was an honor to read. And I just, before we get into your book, I have to tell you, I, I felt like a uh, stalker. I looked at your website and then I watched all of your wedding videos. I feel like it was there. And I just want to say lovely wedding, lovely dress and a lovely venue. It was so special. Thank you. We really had a lot of fun planning it. We, as I'm sure you saw, we got married during COVID. There wasn't much else to do but try to find a way to plan a unique wedding. And with our inability to have a lot of guests, I think we spent a lot more time planning the wedding than um, we thought we did. So for those that wander onto the website, they will see a very historic mansion that was sort of great Gatsby-esque. Yes. And we had a lot of fun. It allowed us to interact with our friends from a distance because of COVID. Mm -hmm. But at the end of it, we were able to all come together and just have a Roaring Twenties night. So we really enjoyed being able to have that time and tried to find a way to do it through COVID. So it was just a great experience. And we sort of were able to do that even with everything else going on. Venue was stunning, absolutely stunning. Your dress was just, oh my gosh, and just the love between the two of you, I just, me, I loved it. Thank you. And I think if you saw that, you probably also realized that when we get into the story, you'll have seen or heard about our spouses mm -hmm. and our children and everything else that built up to that moment. You mentioned the venue, and again, it was called the Hurley Mansion or the Collingswood Grand Ballroom, which are both historic sites that are not very far from us. Mm -hmm. So again, just all 1920s, 1930s, very fun to do. <laughs> well, it was beautiful. I, I'm happy you were um, sharing that on your website. I think it really gives a lot of deep insight into you and Mark, and but then also you get that flavor of your history and your background and and hope, I think, for those who have lost loved ones to say, 
you know, you, you can still find somebody and come together and, and feel that love and happiness and joy again. Yeah, we, I think part of the message of the book is, is really that, mm-hmm. that without giving a lot away from the beginning here, at the end of the day, people need to be open and understand that through tragedy can come more. And Mark and I are both widows. We never, ever thought we'd find a second chance. And to do so in the way that we did, we just believe we are both so blessed. Absolutely. Yes. So maybe just give us a peek into your book, because your book is your story. Uh, Give our listeners an idea of what to expect. Sure. So Mark and I, um, as I mentioned, were both widowed. We both had very strong first marriages that uh, we were not prepared for. So I was married 24 years. Mark was married 33. My husband was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And the first part of the book walks through that journey. Uh, The brain cancer itself was a brain cancer that's so deadly that the NH, uh, National Institute of Health calls it the Terminator. It's glioblastoma multiform. And at the time that my husband was diagnosed with it, it's basically terminal from the onset. So for us, we knew that there was very, very um, little chance that my husband was going to make it through. So we sort of went from how do we fix this to how do we live this and how do we get and stay in the moment and just make the best of everything in this type of brain cancer really less than two percent at that time survived more than two years so we knew the time was short and yet we wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity to sort of live our best life so we didn't just go into a um, a shell. We really went and tried to do things that would make memories for all of us. And in doing that, we had a lot of great adventures. We were really close to um, friends and family, and the book sort of traverses that whole journey. And you'll see the the relationships and the part that they play in life. Um, we were very fortunate to have a whole university. My daughter went to a small college in um, Rhode Island, and we were very fortunate to have that whole college sort of back us through the process and take care of my daughter. You know, I was in my mid-40s trying to navigate my daughter at college, and that school just lifted her up and took care of her while I couldn't. So it goes through that process, and then basically I was navigating life as a widow and trying to deal with me, my family, what it had become, which is not an easy thing to do, and not doing it well at all. So you think about you never, ever had the idea that you were going to become a widow at a young age and completely crashing. So had no idea what to do, had no idea how to do it and started to build, rebuild my life. So it's the story of rebuilding that and finally getting to a point where I was creating my own new normal. And 
meeting a person that had just gone through something I had gone through years before, offering to help. I jokingly said to him, I have muscle memory in this area. What can I do to help you? Never thinking anything would come from it. We uh, call one of his, his chapter is called SpaghettiOs because I learned he was eating SpaghettiOs because that was one of the only things he knew how to cook. So I am not a great cook in any way. Decided to help prepare or prepare some meals for him just so he wasn't eating SpaghettiOs. And uh, just to be in a year. And over time, that evolved. And it's sort of a journey of that evolution. I've tried to include some tips, some things that I learned I wish I knew, and how we got to where we are today. So very brief summary of the book. It's really the journey of all of that, some of what I wish I knew. And I think that people should read this because it's how do you navigate and learn to live in the moment when you are not a person that ever did? I was not a person that lived in the moment. I was not a, I was a planner. I was a, a person with a spreadsheet and I had to completely rewrite my life. So Pat, that's the story in a nutshell. Yes. And even though you knew that your husband did not have long to live, that really wasn't a preparation time for you to say, oh, gee, how am I going to be on my own? That was more of a time for the two of you to come together and celebrate those last days of life. So once that was over, <laughs> then you're left with, oh, my, what do I do now? Even though you knew it was coming, you, you didn't plan for that. Yeah, you really, absolutely. So my husband lived 11 months and slightly, 11 months and 10 days after diagnosis. So during those 11 months, we tried to do everything we could while he was still capable of doing it. And, you know, there were moments where I would think about, I'm going to have to learn how to do some things or I'm going to have to do this someday. But we really didn't know how quickly things would change. We had no, there was no time stamp. We didn't know when he would um, decline and when his health would decline. So I put a lot of that thinking off, thinking someday I'll have to deal with it. I didn't have a will. I didn't have a lot of things prepared. And the book talks about that even when you're healthy, that you probably should have some things prepared. Um, some of the things I've run into even recently that I still haven't been able to take care of because I don't know his secret word, his secret code, his oh. password. And people just won't talk to me. Oh. So there are things that in life, security practices that we put into place, which are intentional, that your loved one can't take care of if they don't have certain information. And today I still can't take care of them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, even knowing the things were going to happen, even talking about what we could talk about, um, I didn't live in that time thing. I'm going to have to take care of this next year. I'm going to have to know this right. and tried to stay in the moment. And when it happened, it hit me like a ton of bricks yeah. and I didn't do very well at all. Well, it's good of you to be honest about that and to share it with others so that 
those who read your book realize that they're not alone and, and that, you know, you experienced the same thing but came through it in a most beautiful way. Thanks. And I think that the thing is, it's hopefully a message of, I'm not saying create a spreadsheet. I'm not saying, like, start organizing everything. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just asking people to think about it a little bit mm-hmm. and to understand that get the passwords written down and put in a safe somewhere. Mm-hmm. Give somebody a second key to your lockbox. You know, just just things that you might not think about. One of the chapters talks about something that's so simple about my house that I just didn't know where it was in the house. And it was a complete breakdown moment for me. And I didn't even know it existed in my house. And that's the water shut-off valve. Shut-off valve. I remember reading about that. I didn't even know a house had one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just I think that was the sort of the breaking point that when I was asked for that by a plumber and it was everything had piled on top of everything and he wanted to know where that was, something as simple as not knowing Mm -hmm. where the water shutoff valve was in my house. And I just sat and cried. Had nothing to do with everything else. I just was a complete failure at life because I did not know where the shutoff valve to the water was in my house that I had lived in for, at that point, 20 years. Oh, I so get that. That that That's almost like a feeling of embarrassment and shame and, and, you know, you feel stupid. It's just, there's like all of those emotions and the fact that you counted on someone else to know that. It's, yeah, I could just see how a little trigger like that would just hit you, um, Maybe it was a good. Absolutely mortified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, how did I not know? Yeah. I didn't even know we had one. <laughs> I remember reading about that. So why did you decide to write the book? I think it was time. So over you know, the first years after my husband passed away, I really felt like I was processing it. And I was still grieving. I think... As I was starting to move forward to a new normal, I was learning to exist with my family as they were. Um, my immediate family, we had a lot of struggles because each one of us were hurting in our own way. And I realized, we realized we couldn't help each other. So we were all at different places in our own grief. And even though we were still a family unit, we still struggled with talking about it. And even at times being in each other's presence, doing certain things that we had done before. So traditions started to fall by the wayside. And what happened was my when Mark and I, my new husband, got married, my daughter volunteered to give the toast. And it was a honest volunteering. And it was the first time I really felt that she had stepped back into embracing another person in my life. And that was such a step. Mark will never be a father to her, but 
accepting someone else in my life was a big step and so meaningful. And when she gave the toast, you know, she acknowledged that her and I had moved through the fire and that we had moved back to a point that we were now communicating again. And she was able to accept a new person in my life, in her life. And we were ready for a different life, a life that was sort of a new normal. And since then, there have been so many of those things that I never would have expected from her accepting this new normal. And I think that that was the trigger for me to say, I can write this and process more that I couldn't have Mm -hmm. before. Um, It was hard. My husband was the glue that sort of held all of us together. And if you've ever lived in a family of women being the only male, he used to joke that he was the only male in a family of women. And when that fell away, it was a very tough time for us. So his sisters, my sister, his mother, me, my daughter, he suddenly wasn't there anymore. And although we all remained close, it wasn't the same. So I think that that was it. My sister encouraged me a lot to write it. His sister, Ray's sister, um, encouraged me to write it, was one of my beta readers. My daughter was my final proof reader. So you know, everyone was able to get involved, and it was really an opportunity to just process a lot of things we had talked about on the surface over the years. But just, it was time. I mean, it was really time. And it all started with my daughter taking that step to say, I see we're arriving at this new place. I can see that Mark is your person. Mark is my new husband. Mark is your person. I can accept Mark in your life, in our life. And he's not my dad, but he is a male that will be in our life, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is huge. My daughter was 21 when her dad died. And that was so many things went through her mind that he will never be part of. And that was hard for her. Yes. That that's a difficult age. And uh, what a gift she gave you and herself, you know, to be uh, obviously a wise woman to be able to volunteer to make that toast and, and, and make it with such sincerity and then all of the growth that followed, um, kind of kudos to her, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Probably one of the greatest gifts yes. of my life yes. came through that toast. I, absolutely. I hear that. I understand. Oh my gosh. I, um, I watched the video of you unboxing your book in the Memorial Garden, and I sat there and cried with you. That was quite a poignant moment, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Um, I didn't know. So one of the things that the publisher asked us to do was actually film the unboxing because unboxing, looking at your book for real for the first time after you've just spent so much time on this 
book and you feel like you've poured your heart and soul into it, you just are waiting and you haven't seen it and you've seen little pieces of it. So I tried to think about that. I want to do it in my kitchen, that I want to do it someplace. And the only place that really resonated to me was the Memorial Garden. And the story of the garden is in the book. And it was the one place that I could think of that would be meaningful to me was the garden that we had planted that still I look at every day. And my it was just the perfect place to unbox the books. And, you know, I did. I sat there and I cried and I was able to post that video and friends and family and others understood what the garden meant. I'm very big on traditions and we still, again, you'll see them in the book. Um, why I eat ice cream for breakfast and why I have a bucket list and some of the things that I do and why I do them uh, because that keeps me close. Mm -hmm. And the Memorial Garden is one of those things because I'm never, ever going to try to get rid of my husband in my life. He's still a big part of my life. And I think that that's one of the things that is why Mark and I work so well because Mark's wife is a big part of our life. My husband is a big part of our life. And together as man and wife, Mark and I both try to continue to honor them. Mm-hmm. So we go and we have traditions with his family to honor his wife. And he helps me with the traditions to honor my husband. And it's it's a melded, blended family with all four of our legacy families. Mm-hmm. And Maybe that's a message that I want people to understand because I think a lot of times in widowed families, people tend to treat us like we're divorced Mm -hmm. and we're not. Mm -hmm. So I still love my mother-in-law. I've come to love Mark's mother-in-law. And we go to dinner and we all still become part of a family. Mm -hmm. And that to me is just a great thing to have in my life because we've all lost so much. Right. You've all lost so much, but then you've all been wise enough to gain so much. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Why the title, Ruse Butterfly? Yeah. So the title came from the, the, the shape of the tumor was actually, the brain tumor was actually something the butterfly, uh, the surgeon and the oncologist referred to as a butterfly. So in my brain, I always thought of butterflies as something that were so sweet and benign and just gentle. And and I think you know every time we I talked about it, I just struggled with thinking of a butterfly as being a mean and aggressive thing. So I wanted to think of it as something that, again, being the apocalyptimist that I am, you know, I wanted to think of it as you know, what good could come from this and how could we still let this bring us joy? And even as that butterfly evolved into something else, how could we still let let this be something joyful to us? So it's funny since then, um, you know, butterflies play a big part in our life, not just, you know, real butterflies, but, uh, you know, we use butterflies as part of our launch we used um, butterfly book markers. We used butterfly plant um, seedlings where the book books were given out with um, these paper 
uh, I guess it was paper implanted seed with mm-hmm. seeds that could be planted to grow. Um, we went, Mark and I went to a butterfly, uh, farm, a butterfly preserve and butterflies landed on my shoulders and we took pictures. <laughs> so it's just become a way to sort of look at this whole journey. And I needed a title that allowed me to think positively about it and not, and, and remember Ray and Ray's nickname was Rue. So something, something again, just to represent that, you know, life sucks sometimes, but you can still find some good in it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, if you don't do that, you're going to be a pretty miserable person. And I also love the, the purple. It was just a beautiful cover. Thank you. And I don't know if, if you've read the acknowledgments in the back, the purple actually represents something very specific. So in the back, you will see um, there is an acknowledgement of one of my friends. Um, her name is uh, Kelly. And Kelly had a daughter who uh, her name was Kara. Kara uh, was um, very young. She was 14. And she went to a sleepover and had um, a cardiac arrest, um, completely unknown heart issue. And Kara was um, passed away overnight. And uh, purple is her color. She represents or uses that uh, to represent Kara's charity. So uh, I, anytime I can, I just include that because Kelly has been on her own grief journey. So purple is the color I selected as the color to represent um, just the grief of others. So for the purple, everything was meaningful. The gray butterfly that you see embedded in the bigger cover is actually representative of the brain. The smaller butterfly was representative of the tumor. Um, and the purple represents the grief of others, which, again, reflects Kelly and losing her daughter at such a young age. And just, you know, so many people in my friend circle have had such a loss of life. And we learn to rely on others, which is also played out in the book, that if I didn't have those friends and each one of us, it's amazing at how young we've all lost significant people not just parents, but significant people in our lives, children, spouses that should not have been lost at that age. So that's what the purple is about. And it just gave me an opportunity to reflect and honor people that I cherish otherwise. How special a nod to your friend. And as you say, all those who are grieving, very, very important. Um, you mentioned something that made me think about affirmations because I know you're big on affirmations. Let's just t- mm-hmm. touch upon that. I also, um, I have affirmations all over the place, uh, little colorful little posters and grew up with affirmations. So I always am interested to talk with others about their experience with that. So just- Every morning to this day, I get up and I say, I'm confident, I'm self-assured, I own this day. I've done that since I was 20 Wow, 21 years old, maybe? Twenty. I went to a class that uh, my first job, my first professional business job sent me to, and they talked to us about affirmations. So I've said that to myself since that day. 
I have affirmations all around my office mm-hmm. that say everything from one small thought in the morning can change your whole day to think deeply, speak, speak gently, give freely and be kind. Um, I just believe that the more positive talk that you do to yourself, you leave no room for the negative. Mm-hmm. And I've done research and there's lots of studies out there. Yes. I'm not saying that it's don't acknowledge real emotion. I'm saying let yourself use positive talk to not allow the bogus negative down talk mm-hmm. in. Because I think you can influence yourself negatively if you say a lot of negative things to yourself. Real emotion has a role, and I actually include some information in the book on some TED Talks and things like that, where I do recommend if people need to and should seek out real grief therapy, real psychological counseling, do it. I've done it. I needed it. And deal with real emotional distress. But who many people walk around just saying negative things about themselves and squeeze out that positive. So I believe to to prevent that, use self-talk that doesn't even let it in. And when you let it in, prevent it from becoming a negative spiral. So I'd love to hear. So what is your positive affirmation? Oh, I have so many. I started off way long time ago, more like in a, in a health aspect, like I am strong and healthy. My, my immune system functions at a high capacity. It started with the, with the whole health aspect. And I shared that with my mom and I had some subliminal tapes where on one side, it was the actual affirmations that you could hear. And then on the other, they were embedded within music. And my mom had a horrible um, go round in, in an ICU and was there for four and a half months. And I brought those and she, she was used to hearing them. And so I brought them from home and I put this little cassette player in the hospital and I would show up at 530 in the morning. It was dark. Nobody was there. And these beautiful nurses would have this music playing with the subliminal messages underneath. So you'd open the ICU room door and the whole whole place was just filled with this. And, um, they learned from that. I think they still use a lot of a lot of that with their patients. And my mom eventually came out of it, and they gave her two years to live, and she lived eight. And so I think there was all that was part of it. You know, a lot of the positivity that we fed ourselves, just like you feed your your stomach and your body, you've got to feed your brain and your mind. So uh, yeah, always been a big fan of affirmations. So there's actually science behind it. There and- is. Mm -hmm. I've looked at the research and your brain is a muscle just like everything else. And if you exercise that muscle, it's going to get stronger. So why not exercise it with positive weight? Mm -hmm. And again, build it up. Don't tear it down. So I truly believe that it does have a a positive influence. I'm glad. I love that story. Uh That's just such a reinforcement. And I think that so many people will benefit from celebrating themselves. And again, that's not a replacement for real counseling or grief sessions. 
I strongly, strongly recommend whether you need them individually, whether you do them online, whether you do them personally. I mean, I found opportunities where I didn't want to see a personal psychologist, psychiatrist, or other clinician that I did them myself. And then at times I saw other professionals. Mm -hmm. So I don't discount that in any way. I'm not a professional, but I also believe that you can use self-talk to help yourself. Oh, for sure. I love this conversation. Thank you. (laughs) I want to make sure we're not missing anything, though, that you wanted to highlight today. Anything? So I think we talked about uh, the book. I think we talked about some of the key messages. Um, Maybe one of the things that I would talk about just a little bit is when individuals are diagnosed with an illness or an injury, there are some tips in the book of advocating for your person or yourself related to, you know, everything from go bags to how to work with your insurance carrier to, you know, what you can ask the doctors related to how to carefully and safely ask for second opinions or things like that if you're not comfortable speaking to a medical professional. So, you know, I just wanted to make sure that uh, maybe we mentioned that type of thing because I have talked to other of my friends and family that have been put in situations since mine where they now consider having go bags or things that now help them that they had never thought of that have been helpful for them. So those are types of things that I would have never thought of personally, but were lifesavers in the moment. And, you know, who would have ever thought carry a trash bag with paper towels and, you know, things that you just don't realize until you're stuck in a gas station and need whatever mm-hmm. that when you're transporting, driving with at a doctor's office visit, you might not have what you need if you don't think about it ahead of time. So just some things in the book that I hope people get something out of. Yes. Very, very practical tips that, uh, again, you, you don't think of them, but then in the moment when you need them and they're ready for you, it's it's a lifesaver. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing that I'm always an advocate for is bucket lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have to be things that are um, expensive. They don't have to be things that are costly. Um, I am a bucket lister. I will look for opportunities everywhere. So whether it is sitting on a beach somewhere, whether it is actually taking a trip, whether it is walking in someone's shoes, whether it's doing an activity, I love to paint rocks. Uh, My whole goal on a recent vacation was to find a rubber duck, which is something that people hide on this vacation trail that I went on. And I found a rubber duck that was a pumpkin rubber duck. So I checked off an item, which was finding a rubber duck. Um, this one just happened to be a pumpkin, which I'm super excited about because I found a pumpkin duck um, on a Halloween week. So, um, you know, whether it's taking a picture with one of the toddlers in our life with a unicorn hat on 
or it's finding flowers and making a braided flower hat or something that is, I saw the other day where a person made very economical bracelets out of beads, put them with a little note, and every time they entered an elevator, left one in the elevator and said, if you find this, you can keep this. I hope it makes you smile. Oh, oh Those I were just that. Put them on the bucket list. So I have this picture, and I'm, I'm like, what can I do? Maybe it's a pack of stickers. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm going to find something that I can leave in places that people can find, and that will be something added to my bucket list. But oh. I'm a bucket lister. I encourage people to be a bucket lister. Mine is hundreds of items long. <laughs> I've painted rocks and hidden them around my town. You know, I, I don't, it doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be financial. It can be an activity or an event, but put it on a list, write it down, commit to it, and you will probably find your life is so much more fulfilling than you ever, ever thought it would be. Oh, you are so lovely. I knew you were going to be wonderful by watching your videos and I was right. Thank you so much. I'm well, thinking thank you, you for having me. It was wonderful. Wonderful. Be sure to give us your contact information. I want folks to be able to find you and your book. So my contact information is super simple. It's DonnaWelzer.com. The name of the book is Ruse Butterfly, R-U-E apostrophe S, Ruse Butterfly, written by Donna McCart Welzer, and it's a memoir. It's available on all regular online booksellers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc., etc. And if, uh, if you uh, need to reach me through email, out there is open and available. I love to hear bucket list stories from people. I put them on my website. If people want to send me them, my email is Donna McWelzer at gmail.com. So D-O-N-N-A-M-C-W-E-L-S-E-R. Donna McWelzer at gmail.com. And you can find more than you ever wanted to know about me on that website, as Pat has mentioned. <laughs> I'm a sneaky stalker, aren't I? <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for having me today, Pat. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. You're a very joyful apocaloptimist. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.